And with that, someone sitting here, your palms just got sweaty, somebody watching online just realized I am in big trouble <laughs> if you forgot that. <laughs> You're not going to hear a word I say from here on out, probably. <laughs> Where can I go in the snow quick? And they can... Now that I don't, I don't usually talk about Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day is definitely not a religious holiday. Valentine's Day is not found in Scripture. Cupid is not found in Scripture. <laughs> but it supposedly celebrates love, and the Bible says God is love. So there's that. I could stretch that, try and make that work. But Valentine's Day falls on a Sunday, so, you know, I just want to have a little bit of fun with Valentine's Day like I did last week with the Super Bowl. The difference is I pray to God your Valentine's Day goes better than... <laughs> <laughs> Than the Super Bowl did, and that's probably why I thought somebody might stay home because of the weather or the snow, but there's truthfully, there's probably people staying home because they think I jinxed somehow the Chiefs. Jinxing is not biblical. I am not responsible. I just want you to know. <laughs> but if they make the Super Bowl again next year, I'm not wearing a Chiefs tie. I just want you to sell for, a, for all of our good. And so uh, I have a question here. Who here, or maybe online, feel free, online, please engage with us. Put in comments. We want you to feel like you're a part of this service. And who here online does serious Valentine's Day cards? Like, you pick out the ones that are like, we walked this journey together, and you're the love of my life, and I'll never forget the first time I met you. Like, you're serious. Raise your hand if you do a serious Valentine's Day card. Oh, my goodness. Are you, are you kidding me? Online, is there anybody? Because I'm shocked by how few people there are. We got a bunch of pranksters and jokesters here in Refuge Church. All right, who here or online, you do funny Valentine's Day cards. Like, you want to be, like, hilarious, you crack jokes. Raise your hand if you do the funny cards. Some of you are married. I only have about seven people raising their hands. So how many of you are just like, I hate Valentine's Day and we don't celebrate it? I mean, okay. <laughs> how many of you... How many of you uh, eat ramen noodles and sit on the couch and just say, hold my hand, baby? I mean, like, uh... <laughs> so next, uh, as soon as our Wednesday night series starts, we're starting a series on romance <laughs> and how to take care of your spouse and uh, brother and sister Purcell are teaching it, not me. Hallelujah. There are a few of the cheesiest and corniest cards that I decided to Google. Don't do this, by the way. There's a lot of sick humor out there in the world. So I'm going to do it for you and prepare. Just it's, These have been filtered. But I just want to show you a few of the funny and slightly corny Valentine's cards that I found that exist. Okay, so take a look with me. First one is I'll let that all sink in. It's kind of deep. It's not very clear. You got to think through it. How about the next one? This is a newer one. This is circulating, obviously. If you have not seen this, it's everywhere. Bernie Sanders with his mittens is showing up everywhere. He even actually showed up on our pew on one that somebody texted me a picture. Next one. I'll leave that up because it's... All right, everybody look around, look around. If somebody looks really confused that's sitting near you, take a moment and explain what this is. I'm going to go ahead and give you a minute. It's the, it's the Titanic. And... Anyway, all right, going on. If you want problems in your relationship... <laughs> For those of you that like the funny ones, give it a try. Let me know how it goes. We'll start counseling Tuesday. 
Next one. Roses are red, violets are blue, keep the, fl keep the flowers, I'd rather have shoes. If you just, ladies, if you're just like, I just want to come straight out. How many of you are like, I'm just not a fan of flowers, raise your hand, all right? All right, well, that's good. Hopefully, Brother Near and Brother Condren didn't get their wife's flowers. Otherwise, it's going to be awkward when they raise their hand and they just got the flowers this morning. <laughs> all right, next one. I love you almost as much as the dog. I'm kind of insecure. My wife's got this little puppy, and that puppy looks kind of similar to that dog. So I'm a little bit, a little bit concerned. Next one. True love is still being on speaking terms after putting together IKEA furniture. <laughs> that is romantic. Look at the Fosters are looking at each other. They that this really hit home with them. <laughs> you guys just get something from Ikea, Target, Walmart, something like that? I love that Walmart stuff. You're like, okay, it says put the, the little, you know, it's got those little screws that like have a little ridge on it and slides under the hole and then it locks like a nut thing into place and you turn it one time too many and all the wood just splinters because it's not real wood anyway from Walmart. And then you go, as Brother Jim would, hallelujah. <laughs> Next one. No kidding, I'm a cat person too. I'm sorry, if you have cats, it's just a funny joke. Nothing offensive. Next one. You're the only one I want to stare at my phone next to in bed. Don't even act like y'all don't sit on your phone laying next to each other in bed with your phone in your hand, okay? Okay, next one. I cannot believe that came from the, I thought the youth were going to be like, I thought for sure the youth were going to be like, that's such a dumb joke, sounds like something. I never in a million years would have guessed that the youth group would have went, aww. That was probably, I almost eliminated this one because it was the corniest one of all of them. We were made for each otter. All right, next one. That's it, right, Brother Jim? Baby Yoda, Yoda, one for me. Oh, yay, yay. You know, you can take that down. Otherwise, it's going to be distracting as I move forward. God lets us know over and over and over again how much he loves us. And he does it better than a Yoda card. Does it better than an otter card. Does it better than a card with cats, dogs, or shoes? And even does it better than Bernie Sanders and mittens? <laughs> the Bible is not just a book of instruction. It certainly is a book of instruction. But it's also a compilation of his pursuit of humankind since the beginning of time. Now, the Bible's a story about our pursuit of him. No, it's not. It's a story about his pursuit of us. The Bible truly is a love story. Now, that's uncomfortable and slightly awkward. You're like, a love story? That's because Hollywood has perverted love stories and made them about things that true love really isn't. And when I talk about a love story, I'm talking about a savior who pursues his creation, who gives us his word and then preserves it through the ages, love letters, stories, history, things about, things about what has happened, what is happening, what is going to happen in the future, things that probably some of you wrote in your card, unless you're just one of those that says, with love, your sweetheart, or something. But it's been translated into known languages, and we know these things, and it it's really is the, the greatest love story of all time. And so today, I just want to preach on this topic. You are precious to God. Lord Jesus, thank you, God, so much for your love, your mercy, your grace, for remaining faithful to us when we are not always faithful to you. God, you're good to us. You, Lord God, have given us your word. You have given us letters to read. 
things that, Lord God, that we can understand more about who you are, what you desire from us, what, what the past happened, what the future holds. God, thank you so much, Jesus, for your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, if there's any book in the Bible that you're like, it's, you just talked about love and it's Valentine's Day. What is that book that we know you're not going to that book? Out of 66 books in the Bible, this is probably not the book you're going to preach from on Valentine's Day. I'm going to go to Daniel. Brother Foster referenced Daniel chapter 2 in the, in the story and the prophetic word because that's what Daniel is really known for. I mean, what do you think of when I say Daniel? I think of the lion's den or praying three times a day or fasting for three weeks. Or how about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into a fiery furnace or angels visiting Daniel. Or the fact that along with Revelation, it's the book of prophecy and it tells us about the future and the last days. And the, in the interpretation of dreams and visions of King Nebuchadnezzar. And if you want to get really deep, we can go into a discussion about the 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. That's Daniel. There's so many awesome concepts that I could preach or any preacher could preach about, about Daniel. We could go through Daniel and, and take a whole year just on Daniel. But in the midst of prophecies and miracles and spiritual disciplines and deliverance and spiritual warfare and end times, in the middle of all of that, I read something recently that I had never really noticed before. Immediately before uh, the angel gives Daniel the, the famous prophetic line about Daniel, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. And, and looking at the last days and, and the Jewish people and the, the world and when is end times going to come? How much time do we really have? All that stuff. Look at what Gabriel first says to Daniel in Daniel 9.20. I went on praying in, in, in Daniel's writing, he says, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, pleading with the Lord my God for Jerusalem. He's in intercessory prayer, not only repentance and confession, but also interceding for his people in the holy mountain. He says, as I was praying, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the earlier vision... Gabriel comes swiftly at that time. I mean, how cool was that, huh? Yeah, guys, it was awesome. I was praying Gabriel showed up. Gabriel, whom I'd seen, he came swiftly to me at the time of evening sacrifice. There are spiritual disciplines. It sounds to me like there were fixed times for prayer and fixed times for sacrifice. I wonder how many times God wants to meet us or he wants to send an angel to us at our morning prayer and we're not there. And he explains to me, he says, Daniel, I've come to give you some insight and understanding. So again, we're sitting here, God, I wish you'd show me. I wish you'd tell me. How many ever have a situation that you just wish God would text you the answer? <laughs> God, I wish you'd show me. He says, Daniel, I'm here to give you some understanding. And he says, the moment you began praying, a command was given. Wow, that's incredible. The moment you began praying, a command was given. Does my prayer really reach the office of heaven that fast? But before I'm going to give you the answers, before I'm going to give you prophetic insight, before I'm going to give you a, gl a glance, a glimpse into the end times, before we're going to reveal spiritual warfare, the very first message I have for you is this. You are very precious to God. Before we go into 70 weeks and end times and anything else, God heard you the minute you prayed. And let me start by opening this up with probably the most important statement I'm going to give you. You are very precious to God. Man, that's, that's so simple. But boy, I need to hear that sometimes. 
Listen carefully so you can understand the meaning of your vision. And then just right back into the vision, right back into the prophetic, right back into. But before we go into all that, we got to start here. You're very precious to God. You see, King James says, greatly beloved by God. This, this was the polar opposite. You got to understand, this is the polar opposite of other gods, false gods of the ancient Near East culture that, in which they lived and, and, survived, and, 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 and grew there. Other religions, we sometimes think like the Bible's the only ancient book that there was. There's all kinds of ancient books. And honestly, when you look at other ancient books, they have creation stories. They have flood stories. We're not the only book that has that. And so people, naysayers will say, well, then how do you know that your book is right? How do you know your God is right? Well, when you study, one of the things, probably the most important thing that sets us apart from any other East, ancient Near East culture literature is we serve a God who is the only God who is interested in his creation. Other cultures, they would tell stories about battles with the other false gods for power, how they would trick each other, and, when, and, then, and then they would actually destroy humanity because the, the gods were trying to sleep, and humanity got too noisy and woke them up, so they struck them down. These are, these are the, 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 the ancient civilizations had stories and writings like this. Look at what astrologers even said in Daniel's time. Daniel 2, 10, and 11, it says, The astrologers replied to the king, No one on earth. He had this vision. He, somebody needs to interpret this vision. He's stressing out. He's, he, he can't sleep. And, and after several nights of not sleeping, those of you that work third shift or maybe in a healthcare field, you know how that is. You're just like, I need rest. Nobody, they say, king, nobody can, no, great or powerful, nobody can tell the king this. I, I, there's nobody on earth. Verse 11, the king's demand is impossible. No one except the gods can tell you your dream. But that's not going to happen. Why? Our gods, ancient Near East culture, this was their own view. Our gods don't even live among the people. How would you like to serve a god that is not even present with you. This is out of their mouth. They said, nobody can tell you your dream and you're stressed out you want us to do it. We can't do it. Only the gods can do it. But the gods don't have any interest in us. What kind of a hopeless situation would that be to be living in a society where you're looking for answers for your life and the only people who have it are false gods and they don't even want anything to do with you? By their own words. Those were the gods of their culture. And so, after all, I mean, we get it right. Why would the creator want anything to do with the creation? This, this was the mindset, and it bled into the kings and the leaders of, of the world of that day. Pharaoh. Pharaoh was not there among the people. Pharaoh was viewed as, as the god of Egyptian culture. But the one true God of Israel, he was totally different than every other false God because he was the only one who was real. He was the one that he made it inherently clear. I love my people. He literally creates Adam and Eve and says, I want to walk through this garden with you on a daily basis and commune with you. I want to have relationship with you. Sin messes that up. What does he say? He said, listen, you got to start coming up with a blood, an animal sacrifice. There has to be blood that's shed. And eventually, I want you to put a tabernacle in the middle of the desert. Why? Because that is a place. And I want you to set it up in the midst of all of the camp and everybody to view that. And I'm going to dwell with my people. I want you to put that tabernacle there so I can commune with you. Yeah, but why? I messed up I, with sin. And, and aren't you busy with other things? Don't you need to go take a nap? And then, then I want to be where my people are. And you know what? Go put a temple there. And I'm going to enter that temple so strong that the priests can't even stand and offer animal sacrifice and worship. 
You know what, I'm just, forget all that, I'm just going to take on flesh. And I'm going to walk among you, and then I'm going to call you to follow me. And I want you to see and hear my voice as I instill things in you because I want to be with you. You know what, that's still not good enough. I'm going to go and I'm going to pay the price on Calvary like we just heard about the cross so I can shed my blood and pay a price that you were supposed to pay. Well, why would you do that? I mean, I'm the one that messed up. No, 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 no. I love you too much that I'm going to atone for your sins. I'm the one that's going to go to that cross. And then you know what? Now that I opened the door for us and the lines of communication, now it's not even good enough to be with you just in human form. I actually want to put my spirit inside of you so that every place you go, every single day, you don't have to bring an animal sacrifice and come into a building and work through a high priest. No, 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 no. Now, because of my blood, because my spirit inside of you, I can be with you always, even to the end of the world. He was not a God who did not live among the people. He was a God who said, I want to dwell with my people. Make me that tabernacle. Make me that temple. I'm going to take on flesh. I'm going to die. I'm going to fill my people with my spirit. And guess what? In John 14, I'm going to do this so that I go to prepare a place for you. So that where I am, you can be there too. That to me sounds like, I just briefly in 30 seconds summarized the whole Bible. It is God creating humankind who keep messing up and sinning and letting them down and not being faithful. And he just keeps pursuing. 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 And he says, the reason I'm pursuing you is so that when I come back for my people, I have a place where we can be forever and ever and ever. Which was my initial plan in Garden of Eden. Why, though? Why? Why? Gabriel just told us why. Because Daniel, and you're very precious to God. Sometimes we have this deep desire to, to hear from God. See the miraculous. I don't want to ask you in case you're embarrassed, but no doubt someone in here watching online has said, God, I would love to see an angel. We want to be a part of changing the world and experiencing supernatural things. But these types of depths are only birthed out of relationship. Daniel faithfully sought the Lord. He prayed even when it was supposed to cost him his life. He kept praying. Daniel 6.10 says when Daniel learned the law had been signed, he's a dead man. What did he do? He went home. Knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with the windows open toward Jerusalem. And there was no shame there. And he began to pray three times a day, just as he always had done, and gave thanks to God. I wonder how many of us could give thanks to God when, a, when an edict had just went forth that if we pray, we're going to die. I think we'd be going, God! I've served you so long. Why would you let this happen? This is so unfair. I can't believe it. I can't. We would be so mad at God. Daniel just says, we talked about this Wednesday. I'm living in fear. I'm not afraid. I'm not scared. My life is in God's hands, and I'm going to keep doing what I know to do. Open the windows. God, three times a day, it's me again, Lord. Just because someone's trying to get in the way and kill me and take my life and... It ain't stopping me from having my relationship with you. Because there are some things that I've developed, we've developed over time. And guess what? The times where you don't feel precious to God, you know when that happens? It's when you've lost your intimacy with him. It's when you're no longer in his presence. Because when you're daily in his presence, one, two, three times a day... God sends angels, and he sends words, and he sends things looking for you at the times that you've set aside to be with him. That's why in marriage, too, if we just say, well, I'm going to try and maybe hang out with my family. I'll maybe take my wife on a date if I get some time this month. It's not going to happen. It will not happen. 
Because in order to have a relationship with God, we have to be intentional. If we say, what time are you praying tomorrow? And you say, I have no idea. I'll see how the day goes. You're not going to pray tomorrow. It's going to be kind of driving around. Oh, yeah, Lord, thank you. Bless this day as I'm driving. Oh, it slid in the snow. Jesus, please bless me. But that's not relationship. That's not where we're building something that lasts. That's the same thing in marriage. If, if we just said, oh, I'm just hoping sometime, maybe in March we'll go on this date one of these days, and I don't intentionally plan for it and find childcare and, and book myself a reservation somewhere, especially in Valentine's Day. Man, I waited a little too long this week. I, Tuesday I booked, or Monday or Tuesday. Do you know I searched every single steakhouse in the entire great, greater Kansas City area? There was only one place that I could get a reservation, and it was yesterday at 345 in Leewood. Note to self, I didn't plan far, and I'm a planner, but I didn't plan far enough, but thank God it worked out. But what I'm saying is, <clears throat> it's that same thing. That if we're not saying, God, I'm prioritizing this, I'm intentionally carving out this time to be with you. If we don't do that, see, Daniel was faithfully building a relationship, he was prioritizing that time, and the times when you question whether or not you're precious to him. It's because we've gotten out of his presence somewhere. Got to get back in there. Because that intimacy that we have with him is where he speaks and he reaffirms. And you know, the very next chapter of Daniel starts off like this. Daniel 10.1. I mean, we just got done reading about Gabriel coming in 9. In 10, it says, in the third year of the reign of King Cyprus of Persia, Daniel, also known as Belshazzar, had another vision. <clears throat> he understood that the vision concerned events certain to happen in the future. He understood that part. He says, man, I'm having a vision now, and I know that this is a prophetic vision. I know that this is not for today, but it's what's on the horizon. He knew that part. Times of great war and great hardship. And Daniel, the Bible tells us, is in the midst of a three-week fast. We call it quarterly three-day fast. How many are on board for the three-week fast, huh? And scripture tells us a man showed up to him. Verse 5, I looked up and I saw a man dressed in linen clothing. This sounds so awesome because we know the end of the story and we get to read about it. But imagine you're in prayer. God, I would love to see an angel. I wonder if we would. Probably wet our pants. Imagine you're in prayer and you're like, oh, God. Oh, I'm praying today, and you look up, and there's a guy standing there just looking at you. <laughs> you know? He'd be screaming. And so as a man stands there with a belt of pure gold around his waist. His body looked like a precious gem. His face flashed lightning. That sounds so familiar to some things we read about. But our Savior, even in Revelation. And his eyes flamed like torches. Kind of sounds a little bit like Isaiah's description of the Lord high and lifted up. His arms and feet shone like polished bronze. And his voice roared like a vast multitude of people. Was this an angel? A theophany, you know, a manifestation of God? Scripture doesn't say. But it does say that this man had a message from God. I mean, imagine, you're, you're, you're expecting the supernatural. Now, I just had a vision. I know it's about end times. Boom, somebody shows up, looks that powerful, sounds that powerful. I can't wait to hear this message. It's going to be life-changing. But before God or the messenger tells Daniel about this incredible, one of the coolest stories in the Bible, about this incredible spiritual battle where Daniel had been praying for like 21 days, and, and, and then there was a spiritual battle that took place between the prince of darkness and, and the angel, and how he was, he was caught up in this battle, so they had to send another angel to Daniel, and it's just this amazing story that shows spiritual warfare is absolutely real. We've got to be sensitive to that. Well, you're not always, every time something goes wrong, you've got to find that balance. Like my dad used to say, if you burn your toast, it's not like, man, I pray against the spirit of burnt toast. Like sometimes it's like, no, you just walked away and left the toast in the, in the toaster. Like the toast in the toaster, let's not make it spiritual. 
But if we're just always like, man, I feel resistance. I feel this depression. I feel this discouragement. Every day it seems like it's not going away. At some point you need to go, what is going on spiritually in my walk with God right now? What is going, what do I need to take dominion and authority of right now? I need to begin to go to prayer and not just say, my life is terrible. I'm having a bad day. It seems like nothing's going right. No, no, no. I, I take dominion over my thoughts in the name of Jesus right now, and I begin to combat it. Because we have, we have such powerful things, but I always say the four most powerful things you have, the name of Jesus, the word of God, the blood of Calvary, and his spirit. Nothing, nothing, there's nothing on earth that can stand against those four things. And so to me, every time, if I start to feel down, discouraged, I plead those four things and I remind God and I remind the enemy and I speak it and I verbalize it that those four things, I have access to the blood, to the name, to the word, to the spirit. You can't touch me. And before the, the messenger goes in and talks about, oh, and the spiritual battle and all the incredible things that he's going to say, it says in verse 10, just then a hand touched me and lifted me. And we just fly through this. We just, we just go on past this. Hold it. Daniel obviously is feeling down, discouraged. There's a, there's a, I mean, like, there, his, his life sentence has already been handed to him. You're going to die. And here he's trying to pray and he's trying to remain faithful. Thank God. Pray three times a day. But no doubt he's discouraged. No doubt he's fighting something. And scripture gets ready to tell us about what he's fighting. That there's an angelic and demonic battle that goes on when you read on. But here he is. Oh! And thank God the messenger shows up. And before the messenger speaks, before the messenger says anything, what does he do? Anybody want to help me? No? You want to help me? You want to help me? You want to help me? You have to help me. You're my daughter. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Because <laughs> the last preacher used a guy. We got to use a girl too. And so she's down on the ground and she's weeping. And she's struggling. And she's going through it. And she's, God calling for my life. God, I know I've got this dream about end times, and the, end time, and the dream was about wars, and it wasn't a good thing. Like, he's, no doubt, his, in his humanity, he's probably got to be just anxious and fearful and stressed out, and he's still human, even though he prays three times a day. And the messenger shows up and does this, what's wrong with you? Why are you praying? Quit crying. Like, we don't read that. And just then, a hand touched me. And lifted me up, still trembling to my hands and my knees. The fear, the anxiety, what, what, what was causing the trembling? What was causing that? But the messenger shows up and says, nothing. But just a simple touch. Lifted him up. And then says what? The man said to me, Daniel. You're precious to God. Again, the same message. Daniel, you're precious to God. So listen carefully, Mace. Listen carefully to what I say. And when he said this, I stood up still trembling. Still trembling. Because I had just been given something. Sometimes your burden for ministry causes you to tremble. Because there's something placed in your heart and on your shoulders that causes you to weep and cry out to God for that specific area. And if you don't have that, ask God. Lord, well, people are afraid sometimes of ministry because of stories like this. But you know what? If you're going to make an eternal difference... There should be some things that just bring a trembling, just a, God, I need to pray. Because if I don't have the trembling, I don't intercede. But he starts to intercede. Oh, God. And the messenger shows up, doesn't say anything, lifts him to his feet and says, Daniel, before we get into that specifics of that dream and vision, don't forget the message. 
message number one is, you are precious to God. And after that, the messenger goes into the amazing message, the whole incredible story about the spiritual battle and all that. And he, God heard you the first time. Why? Because I think maybe, maybe that was part of why he was stressed and trembling. Because God didn't show up as quick as he was. God didn't answer as fast as he wanted to. But the angel gives insight into spiritual warfare when he says, listen, the moment you prayed... God dispatched angels, but there was a spiritual battle between the demonic realm, and so I had to come and give the message. Wow. How often is God just not giving me my answer as soon as I want? Because you are praying about things that is causing a battle in the spiritual realm. And so... As soon as he finishes that message, tells him all about it, Daniel questions his strength and ability because when God calls you to be a part of supernatural things, you often feel like you're not strong enough. You often feel like you're calling me to do things that I am not capable of. And so there's that insecurity, that there's that vulnerability. I'm speaking to someone. This is powerful right now. God is speaking to someone that he's calling you into ministries and areas of, of anointing that scare you. It causes you to tremble. It makes you fearful. And so you're wondering, how am I going to do this? I, I'm not capable of this. I'm insecure. I am vulnerable. And you should feel that way to an extent because you cannot do it alone. This is where Jesus, he begins to call you to things that is going to be beyond what you are physically, humanly capable of. That's where the miraculous steps in. The miraculous is where a human being says, I'm inside the boat, but yet I feel a call to get outside the boat. But if I have to, then I have to walk on water, which is physically impossible. But when Jesus says, come, I leave what I'm comfortable with and I begin to do supernatural things because I refuse to keep myself in the confines of what's physically possible and instead I step into what is spiritually possible. And that's where the church starts to see. That's why the first century church grew like it did. Because average normal people who were ignorant and unlearned men decided we will not stay in the confines of the boat. I'm going to start to test the supernatural. I'm going to start to pray with people who are lame. I'm going to start to pray over people who are dead. I'm going to pray over people with blind eyes. I'm going to speak to the masses and believe that God can fill every single one of them with the Holy Ghost and see 3,000 people in a day and 5,000 people in a day. I'm going to start to do things that I never thought I could do but I'm just sick and tired of living average. And when the church gets enough people that decide they're going to live that way, revival spreads across the globe. Maybe if I shouted that, it would go over better. Daniel questions his strength. And he questions his ability. And you know how I can talk so passionately, if I'm going to be totally transparent, 100% real with you? You know how I can talk so passionately about this? Because it happens to me regularly. Because God gives me vision for this district and this church and what he's going to do. And sometimes, I, I'm not going to lie, I'll be totally honest. I just told my wife this, that I feel like sometimes I'm in four-wheel drive pushing the gas, and I'm spinning mud, but I'm not going anywhere. And I feel like something in the spiritual realm is touching me and impacting me right now, even in this season of my life. God is preparing our church for great, great, great. We've already seen good things, but he's preparing us for great things. And in the midst of this, I feel this battle. I feel this resistance. I feel it, and it's it's just coming from every side where I know that I'm going, God, I need you to come and give me a word. I need you to come and to just grab a hand and lift me up and begin to speak to me, God. And so Daniel, he, he questions his strength and his ability, and he says, how can someone like me, God ever give any of you a vision, a calling, a ministry, a thought, 
And your first statement is, how can someone like me? Anyone? Come on, raise your hand if that's you. Has God ever spoken to you and given you something, a vision, a thought, a dream, a calling, a burden, and you go, how can anyone like me? He says, your servant talked to you, my Lord. My strength is gone. I can hardly breathe. I mean, I think that would be pretty, uh, he just showed up and told him this whole spiritual battle and everything that was going on. Then the one who looked like a man touched me again. And I felt my strength returning. Sometimes when you feel like your strength is gone, all you need is a touch from Jesus. And so when you start looking for answers in everything else, everything, your work and your school and even your marriage, which is a godly thing, but that's not going to provide the fulfillment and the strength. And so some of us are seeking our strength from our spouse. That's not where, yeah, God gave you a help me. Yeah, God connected a team. But that's not where the strength comes from. And he says, a touch from God, a touch from the messenger. And I started to feel my strength again. And God ends where he started. And he says, don't. Be afraid. Just talked about this Wednesday. If you miss Wednesday, go back and listen. Because fear, being afraid, living in fear is never, there is never a time, not one time. I feel the anointing of God so strong as I stand in this pulpit this morning. The fear of God is never, the fear of, of, of I'm, I'm saying just fear, is never of God. God never, ever wants his people to live afraid. And so some of us, fear is holding us back because God's calling us and he's calling us into ministries and he's calling us to do supernatural, miraculous things. But when he's touching us, we're not getting up. When he's speaking to us, we're not arising. And so like Daniel, what happens if he stays on the ground, nothing happens. But God, the messenger comes to him and speaks and he needs to stand up and say, I'm going to go do something with this. Peter, he, he says, if that's you, bid me to come. What if Jesus says, come? And Peter says, I was just kidding. No, 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 no. God is bidding someone to come here today, but the fear is keeping you on the ground. The fear is still making you lay on the ground going, but, but, but who am I? But how can someone like me? And so the conversation never goes beyond that point because we're still laying on the ground going, who am I? How can someone like me? And so the supernatural isn't taking place in the church because the person that God's calling to step beyond and into the supernatural is afraid. But, but, but God says, the messenger says, God says through the messenger, whether that was him or if that was theophany or not, he says, don't be afraid. And then he says the exact same thing again. For the third time in two chapters, Daniel, you mean so much to me. Do you think that I'm speaking these visions to cause you pain? Daniel, do you think that I'm going to call you into something and just leave you there by yourself, Daniel? Daniel, you've been praying and I sent a messenger to let you know I heard you the moment you prayed. The second that you raised your voice to me, I heard you and I dispatched angels. And there's an entire battle in the spiritual realm because of your prayers, because of your faithfulness, because of your relationship with me. There's a spiritual battle going on right now in the spiritual realm. And I've heard you, Daniel. I'm calling you to great things. I'm calling you to speak great things. I will be with you. Your life will be spared. You're not going to be thrown into lion's den and dead and killed. Because that's not the first time and the last time they're going to try and kill him. But he's letting him know, I'm with you, Daniel. I'm going to stand up. Don't be afraid. I need to remind you, I came with this message, and I will end with this message. And here it is. It's real simple. You are very precious to me. 
If God's calling you into something, whether that's giving something up, diving deeper, walking into a new ministry, stepping out in faith, praying with the unbeliever, reaching somebody on your job, stepping out financially, whatever that is, God is saying, listen, if I'm calling you, you're precious to me. Don't think that I'm going to leave you by yourself. And even in Daniel's spiritual fatigue, questioning his values, wondering if he has strength, God again says, Daniel, you're precious to me. In the midst of chaos and dreams and fear, he keeps reinforcing, Daniel, you're precious to me. Years earlier, God reinforced this same message to all of his people, not just Daniel. Israel was facing uncertainty, military conquest. They had let him down. They were unfaithful. They did not deserve grace. They deserved punishment. But in all of this, God sends a prophet Isaiah, and he speaks this to his people in Isaiah 43. He says, but now, O Jacob, which Jacob had his name changed to Israel, so you could say, oh, Israel, listen to the Lord who created you. Oh, Israel, the one who formed you, don't be afraid. There it is again. Because fear always will try to attack the believer at low points. I've called you by name. He didn't just call the church. He called Kirby. He called Atalia. He called Zoe. He called Abigail. He called Emmanuel. He called Graham. He called Blanca. He called us by name and he says, you are mine. When you go through the deep waters, I'm going to be with you. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, you're not going to drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you won't be burned. The flames won't consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt as a ransom for your freedom. I gave Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Others were given in exchange for you. I traded their lives for yours. Why? Because you are precious to me. You are honored and I love you. Yeah, but I've been unfaithful. But yeah, I made poor choices. But yeah, I should have done better. Listen, I traded others for you. Why? Because I love you. Because you're precious to me. He reinforced and referenced back to the past when God saved them. But why would he save them? Why would he do it? Because you're precious to me. He says, you're honored and I love you. And later in the New Testament, James speaks to us along the same lines in James 1.18. He says, he chose to give birth to us, new birth, by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. To me, that sounds like a love story. That sounds like the pursuit of the God of the universe pursuing humanity in a way. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We mess up and we messed up and we continue to mess up. And we're not always faithful to him. And we make mistakes and dumb decisions and poor choices, but God keeps saying, listen to me. I've always wanted to dwell among my people, to fill my people with my spirit. I've gone to a prepare a place for my people. I know other societies say they're gods. Don't live among the people, but all I've wanted to do since the beginning of time is to live among my people, is to have relationship with my people. And he even went further than that in 1 Timothy 2, and I'm just about done if they want to come. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, he says, for there's one God and one mediator between God and man. That's the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Why in the world? Why in the world, someone? Why in the world would the God of the universe, who has all power, who literally just speaks, and planets appear, and, and oceans stop right here and go back, and, 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 and the gravity comes, and, and, and everything, just, he just speaks it into existence. He has all power. He could just look at me and be like, you sinned again, man. I'll make me a new one, new and improved version. God could do that, like a cell phone. You know, a cell phone, you got a cell phone. Now, man, it's awesome. Look what it does. Five years from now, it's a piece of junk. It's outdated. You might as well get a new one. It doesn't even do the same stuff it used to do. I'll just grab the new model. Why wouldn't he do that with me? I mean, I, I mess up. I fail all the time. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't reach the pinnacle of what he has for me. 
Why would the creator be willing to die for the creation? That's the greatest mystery in the Bible. God, how in the world could you love me that much? It's because our love is finite. We don't have infinite love. Oh, yeah, well, I said I do. Yeah, there's probably some things that your spouse could do that could get you to say, I don't. But God just shows up with a message to Isaiah, message in Timothy, message in Daniel, and he just keeps saying the same thing. His actions speak louder than words, but his words still reflect the actions when he just says, he just shows up when we're fatigued and anxious and fearful and wondering and confused, and he just grabs us, and we just feel the touch of the Lord, and the touch that brings strength and healing and hope, and he says, you are so very precious to me and I love you you're my prized possession are you kidding me God look around I just referenced the palm trees man those those prize that's the prized possession the ocean and the sandy beaches and the beautiful sun and, and all these things that you got and you're gonna look at me and tell me I'm your prized possession makes me want to find an altar to do like Daniel, repent of my sins and say, God, I don't know if I'm worthy. I certainly don't feel like it, but God, I want to stand up today and walk out with renewed purpose. I want so bad to be the man, the husband, the father, the servant of God that you want me to be. I just, God, help me. I don't know what I have to offer. I sure don't feel like it's a lot, but you keep telling me over and over how I'm precious to you and I'm your prized possession and you love me. And so God, help me to be that man that you are calling me to be. Help me to rise up with strength and hope and vigor and anointing somehow. I don't deserve it, but God, I want to be the man you want me to be. And I'm wondering if there's anybody else that wants to find an altar with me. And has the same prayer and same grateful heart. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. But you look at me. And you say over and over again. You are precious to me. I think we need to find a place to pray this morning.